You're listening to Contesting Wrestling Premium. Primo. Uh, as uh, usual, I am Doc Diamond Fire. I'm here with Professor Abelson, and uh, we watched a we watched a show that popped into popped into Ben's consciousness recently. <laughs> um, WCW we... Halloween Havoc, 1990. I was yeah, I just happened to watch the Steiner Brothers versus the Midnight Express on YouTube, and that was on WCW Worldwide, like leading up to this show. So at the end of that, they they ran down the card, and I it got me excited. Well, there's definitely a lot of good stuff on this card. Uh, WCW at the time was still kind of holding it together, um, but they had started they they had started the descent. Yeah. Into what would become the early '90s kind of malaise of WCW. As I've mentioned before, you know I, I think this is true for you as well, Doc. This period. Period. That's not a word. This particular point in wrestling has a special allure for me because it's like right before I started watching. Um, oh yeah, so so it's like it just happened, but uh, but this period seems like it was forever ago, <laughs> right? Uh, when it wasn't, it was just a little bit before everything you already know. And um, <laughs> right, exactly. And so, like, I knew. I remember like having a bunch of the WCW trading cards and them talking about these <laughs> matches and these shows that happened a couple years before I started watching. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I had watched through this whole period of WCW a few years back, but I didn't remember that many of the details. I didn't remember specific, like I remembered the events that happened on this, but not yeah. that they happened on this particular show. <laughs> right. The main thing that I remembered as we'll talk about in depth is the fantastic Steiner brothers versus nasty boys match. That's all. Oh yeah. Real good for the NWA United States tag team championship. Yeah. Cause there were two sets of belts going, right? On. There's two sets of belts, which means a shitload of tag team matches on this show. The, uh, so the video that's on Peacock starts with four tag team matches back to back. The original show yeah. had a bunch of match, had another like hour of show that isn't included on this video. Uh, yeah, I have the, uh, the, the match listing up, uh, matches that we did not see <clears throat> were there were two proper dark matches. It's Tim Horner versus Barry Horowitz, Rip Rogers versus Reno Riggins. Uh, what we did not see on the broadcast, we did not see Terry Taylor versus Bill Irwin, which is fine. Yeah, um, we did not see the Junkyard Dog versus Moon Dog. Well, Rex. we did see that, but we had to find that on uh, YouTube. Yep. So you can find that match, and we'll talk a little more about why the fuck Junkyard Dog is in WCW at this point and the mm. kind of larger significance of that match for this card. And we did not get blade and steal the master blasters versus uh, the Southern boys. And the master blasters was Al green and a very, very green Kevin Nash. Yeah. And the, uh, su the Southern boys. Yeah. Uh, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, one of the Armstrong boys. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen that match, but unfortunately we weren't able to find it anywhere. Yeah, I would have liked to see that, not because I'm sure it was any good, but because it's always fun to see Nash before he figured himself out. Yeah. And the Master Blasters looked ridiculous. Yeah. Elsewhere on this we show, will the be Southern able, Boys look ridiculous. Yeah, we will be able to Master Blast at some other occasion, I'm sure. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, yeah, that we do see the Southern Boys later on, that's right. Yeah, as we got it on the show, we get two hours of the show on Peacock. It starts with the four tag team matches. Um, two like kind of lower card matches, then the U.S. tag title match, and then the world tag team title match. Yeah. And they're all pretty good. And they are. This is a good show. As for, you know, the two hours we see are full of really good wrestling. And the, the first match is uh, the the Midnight Express, the Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane version, of course, with Jim Cornette versus Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich. They explain that uh, Robert Gibson has been injured. Yeah, by the Freebirds. Morton had been team. By the Freebirds, right. And Morton had been teaming with uh, Wildfire Tommy Rich. Former World Heavyweight Champion Wildfire Tommy Rich. Yeah, briefly. What was the story and, with him winning the title? It was like the promoter was was just decided to put it on him against the NWA's wishes or something like that? Uh, uh, I, I heard in, a, in an interview, and I can't remember who the interview was even Flair, with, but it was somebody Flair, that I was think. there, Flair perhaps, that they screwed Harley Yeah, uh, with... Uh, Tommy Rich and Tommy Rich dropped the belt in short order. He's not good. Um, 
No, Ricky Morton, on the other hand, is is as Ricky Morton as he ever was. Except he has a ponytail. Know, he can he can uh, he can command the crowd at at his whim, like he could at any point in his career up to today. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he he carried uh, that part of the team. But the Midnights, of course, were you know professional heel. Oh team. man, and the the version yeah. with Stan Lane, I think, really is the best Midnights. I mean, yeah. Stan Lane is so fucking sleazy. He rem- he's like <laughs> he. I believe that he's like what's his face from American Psycho. Yeah. Uh, what's the character's name again? Um, Patrick Bateman. Yeah, he's a he's Patrick a Patrick Bateman. Bateman type, but but one that also does something resembling karate. <laughs> Throws a couple of good looking kicks. He does. He's a is it Stan Foo or something. Um, <laughs> I guess that's where Mark Briscoe kind of got it from. Uh, yeah, that's well, possible. Because you know, Mark Brisk, well, Mark Briscoe's stuff doesn't look as good. No, you know, Stan Lane throws a couple of like well, uh, well practiced kicks. But he's like Mark Briscoe yeah. just kind of waves his arms around in the air and then hits you. Yeah, he's this like fucking perfectly bronzed douchebag, you know? Yeah, it's Mr. Lane. We didn't know oh, yeah, growing completely. up, you know, we saw fucking Stan Lane and fucking Doc Hendricks <laughs> and we had no idea um, that they were, you know, two of the greats, two of the great tag team wrestlers yeah. of all time. We'll talk about Mr. Hendricks's alter ego in a little bit. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, um, but yeah, the match, you know, when it's fucking Ricky Morton in there with the Midnights, it's fantastic. You know? Yeah. They all know how to work together. They've done it a lot. Yeah. And they know where to go and where to be. And Cornette knows where he fits in into all of that, interfering when necessary. And I talk a lot about Stan Lane here, but of course we must talk about the recently deceased, unfortunately, Mr. Bobby Eaton. Yeah, Bobby Fucking Eaton was, rules. I mean, what can you say about Bobby Eaton? He was always really good. You know, he knew how to do everything. And he knew he was always like... Uh, he was always there when you needed him. I still think so. He has a match with Ric Flair on Clash of the Champions for the World Heavyweight title just before Flair yeah. jumps to WWF. And it is yeah, a yeah. fantastic fucking match. We should definitely cover it at some point. Um, but if they had had a little foresight in WCW and known that you know Flair was on his way out, which I guess they didn't quite know, it would have been pretty awesome if they had put in put the title on Eaton there. Yeah, they could have, they could have put the belt on Bobby. You know, he could have either defended it or dropped it. He could have defended it against Ricky Morton. People would have wanted to see that. Yeah. Or or he could have just, yeah, he could have lost it to Luger, who was the guy they eventually put it on or Barry window. That would have been better for Luger. I think. Yeah, definitely. Than what they did do. Exactly. Exactly. Instead, Flair left with the belt. They vacated it. And then they had Wyndham and Luger fight for the title. But yeah, no one ever beat the champ. No one ever beat the champ, <clears throat> and that's that's no good. Uh, so uh, the match goes about twenty minutes. Um, at some point, the Southern Boys come out, both dressed in ridiculous Jim Cornette outfits, yes, complete with tennis rackets, and start the major yes. distraction interference. Of course, the tennis racket at this point has already been used a couple of times in the match by Mister Cornette yeah, by himself. Cornette. Yeah. So yeah, they cause the distraction. And then Tommy Rich hits one of the Midnights with the racket and gets the pin. And the yeah, baby faces Paul Heyman rejoice. on commentary is beside himself with the cheating. Right. And uh, Heyman and Jim Ross on the call. And I'm always a big fan of Heyman and Jim Ross because Heyman always does his damnedest to actually piss off Jim Ross. And that's also why Jim Ross liked working with him. You know, you, you go out there and you do it. And then the crazier that Heyman got, the more completely... Uh, completely straight JR got. And the contrast was always great. Let us not forget because this is a Halloween episode. I think JR is dressed up as Dick Tracy and maybe I think they're in Chicago. I think he's trying to be dressed up as like Al Capone. Uh, Okay. Paulie is clearly Dracula. Tony Schiavone is the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Tony, uh, they cut to Tony all night in his Phantom gear. Nobody mentions it. No, (laughs) but it's, it's you don't have to. Oh, you, you don't have a few to. other cool matches. A few other cool moments from this match. Uh, they hit the fucking rocket launcher onto the stage, which yeah. looks really impressive. They have the stage that comes right up to the ring, like they did. Right, right, yeah, and they do all sorts of cool spots on there. Um, yeah, 
fucking Eaton hits the diamond cutter at one point, <laughs> which was not yeah. really a thing yet. I guess uh, Johnny Ace was doing it in Japan, maybe. Yeah, it was a move that you could find here and there. It was just, you know, a, didn't really have a name or anything. Yeah. It was just a move. But Eaton knew all of the moves. Yes, so. Eaton knew all of the moves, exactly. And he did that motherfucking Alabama Jam leg drop off yep. the top rope, which is an absolutely gorgeous uh, spectacle of a move. L- fucking love it. Yeah, and, and he did it for years and years, apparently, without injuring himself nearly as much as some people that do leg drops, mm. which is uh, commendable. Yeah, great stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cool. Oh, and last thing. Uh, Stan Lane does the JYD headbutts. He is the first yeah. of several people on the show to do the like crawling on all fours headbutts like JYD who is on the show. And I guess, you know, a lot of these guys were big fans of his. Um, yeah. I mean, what's not to learn? Or had worked or had worked <laughs> with him in mid South even before he had gone yeah, to maybe. WWF. Um, and yeah, so there was, there's a, a bunch of, there were a few tributes going on throughout the night. And, um, yeah, the next thing that happens after this match is over is somewhat inexplicable and stupid. And so, um, Phantom of the Opera, Tony Schiavone is with Sting, who's talking about the Black Scorpion, who is, or I don't know if he's even talking about the Black Scorpion. I guess he's talking about Sting. But the Black Scorpion is there. Sting is so fired up and he immediately just stumbles on his words and and nobody cares. They all love him so much. He comes on and he's like, I hope you're not too much into your butt and not your, you know, I mean too much into your head and not your, you know what I, I'm, I'm fired up, Tony. I'm fired Hell up. Yeah. The crowd cheers, you know, cause Sting knew it. Sting knew it wasn't about being perfectly eloquent for him. Right. He just comes out and he's excited the crowd with your energy. Yeah. Right. He's excited. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna sting someone tonight. Right in their butt. Right in their butt or their, you know what? Even. Yeah. But then the black scorpion appears and says something about how he's going to give sting a taste of his black magic. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he runs into not really the audience. People are sitting on the steps, uh, grabs a young woman by her upper wrist, which on television is the young woman weak spot. She looks like she's anything. part of the crew, maybe. Yeah. Drags her, like, behind a curtain. There is some magic that happened, and then they run out from the other side of the curtain as though they teleported yeah. and certainly didn't just run across the back of the stage there, that everybody And there's like they fireworks did. for some reason. Yeah. It's just yeah. stupid and terrible and has nothing to do with anything else that happens throughout the night. No, it's a cheap magic trick. It's not even a good magic trick. It's a cheap disappearance magic trick and sting runs in to save the day and you know, the young woman runs and jumps into his arms, then immediately jumps out of his arms and runs away. And Sting does not catch up to the Black Scorpion this time. Who is, I'm pretty sure at this point, Ole Anderson. Like, you can kind of tell. Yeah, I mean, he's always doing the voice, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Black Scorpion, is it, it was a big angle for most of this year. It did not have a satisfying conclusion, and Ole resigned his booker as soon as it was over. Yeah. Which is the only good thing to come out of it. Yeah, definitely. So we miss here we miss two matches. We don't see Terry Taylor versus Bill Irwin, and we don't see Brad Armstrong versus J.W. Storm. Oh, and actually now looking down the list, we don't see the Master Blasters versus right, the Southern right. Boys. All those matches are here. Yeah. What we do see next is the Renegade Warriors, Chris and Mark Youngblood, versus the fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes. And the thing, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes look exactly like guys in big hair metal bands looked by the end of 1990. (laughs) You know, just kind of bloated and bleary, and, like, they still could lip-sync to their songs, but but it was was winding down. Those fucking sequined overalls that Michael Hayes is wearing make up for anything else that, you know, might have been missing by then. One of the most influential minds in the history of wrestling. The Renegade Warrior... First of all, the Freebirds are with Little Richard Marley, who I don't know what his deal was. No idea. But he was with them and gets involved in this match. 
Uh, Team Renegade Warriors. So I'm guessing they're like the younger brothers of Jay Youngblood, who was a bigger star than either of them years before this. That's that's a pure guess, but that's as good a guess as mine. They're from the Mescalado Reservation in New Mexico, the ring announcer sure. says. So I guess they're Native Americans. That, that's that's the story. They've got um, I mean, they've I, got Native American blood in their veins, and they'll fight. They'll I think. fight. In in WCW, I'm looking it up. Okay, uh, Mark Youngblood is. Uh, well, I don't think he's really an Indian. <laughs> no. And we'll leave it at that. Um, Chris Youngblood? Are they Chris are Youngblood? they are they actual brothers and brothers of Jay Youngblood? Oh, actually, yeah, they're actually both brothers of Jay Youngblood. Okay. My mistake. Okay. So there you go. Well, wait, you didn't look, I thought you were going to look up Little Richard Marley. I, I have that in another tab here. Named Rocky King, William oh, Bolware Jr. Yeah, Rocky King was a jobber yeah, on... wrestler and referee, yeah. He was a jobber on NWA TV. He was like one of the jobbers who who won against other jobbers sometimes. Yeah, maybe maybe the Freebirds liked him and wanted to get him in on the act. All right, that's cool. Who knows? Yeah, no, he's a good worker. Yeah. Um... Okay, I'm glad that mystery was solved. We never have to wonder anything about anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here at a computer recording. Might as well look stuff up on the fly. Yeah, and, like, why do research before uh, the podcast? Um, now I'm too busy watching <laughs> shit. <laughs> Same at this point. Um, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, speaking of working, the, this match is all about the DDT, the, the yeah. announcer's put over that um, Hayes has been taking people out with the DDT. Now, the the Freebirds, I guess they're the heels in this match, but they're cheered by everybody. Well, they are the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Right, they are the greatest rock and roll band of all time. That's true. Uh, they just edge out Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yeah. The, the WWF's favorite band in the whole world, Limp Bizkit. Right. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, that's pretty much the story of this match is eventually Marley interferes and uh, it's a great little spot where um, uh, one of the Renegade Warriors does an O'Connor on um, Jimmy Garvin, an O'Connor roll, and the ref is distracted by Marley and um, Hayes slips in and hits the DDT off of the O'Connor. Yeah, it's, it's a good spot. It's well done. It pops the crowd huge. They were ready to see it. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. This match was fine. It was it was not uh, it was not Ricky Morton and whoever he was tagging with versus the Midnights. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is probably my least favorite match of the whole show that we saw. Yeah. But Michael Hayes makes up for it just by, you know, as you said, his sequence mm. and his hairy, hairy gut. Big time. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. A much better match if we just want to move on. Yeah. It comes up next. But before that, we get a little interview with Flair, Arn Anderson, and Sid Vicious, who were the horsemen oh, yeah, yeah. at the time. Uh, I guess they, they only had three at the moment. Uh, though I guess maybe Barry Windham was kind of... Was Tully there? No, Tully was gone. Remember, Arn and Tully left for WWF, and Arn came right, back by himself. Right. Uh, and Tully didn't. They didn't yeah, want him yeah. back after the drug test failure. Uh, I guess. Okay. So, um, Sid, you know, intense as always. Good Sid, you know, solid Sid promo. Nothing special, but, you know, from the beginning, he had that intensity. He had that character. Uh, Sid, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll say more when we talk about his match, but he was one of the first guys in WCW I was aware of. Someone bought me a wrestling action figure, knowing that I was into wrestling action figures when I was a small child and it was Sid, it was a WCW figure, which I was puzzled by (laughs) because I was not aware of other wrestling at the time. So I think, right. Why would you be? I think that Sid vicious figure was the first I had ever heard of WCW. Um, I remember first hearing about Sid and Nintendo power because he was in the WWF WrestleMania game on the super Nintendo. The first one. That's right. Super WrestleMania. That's it, Super WrestleMania. Yeah. Not the best WWF no, game they ever put no out. No one had any special moves. Everyone had the exact no. same moveset. 
If you're gonna play a uh, WWF game on the Super Nintendo, play Raw. It's it's yeah. it has all the features possible on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. Royal Rumble was good too, but Raw was an upgrade. Right, right. Raw was basically Royal Rumble with more stuff. Right. Different rosters, kind of. Yeah. Um, and also like uh, Raw had all those crazy special super moves that were yeah. all impossible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taking the Mortal Kombat uh, right. experience at the time and then cranking it up a bit. No, Raw was just better in general. The animation was better. The sound effects were better. There were more modes. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a better game. But despite not knowing who he was, just seeing what... And the Sid figure, you know, it doesn't move at all. It's one of those Galoob WCW figures. Yeah, but those were good. Yeah, it looks like Sid and it looks fucking cool. He's a big-ass dude and he looks mean. And that's, you know, kind of sometimes all you really need. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> moving on. Speaking of really all you need is to be kind of mean. Um, the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers for the WCW United States Tag Team titles. Holy fuck. This is one of my favorite tag team matches ever. Yeah, this match was awesome. The Nasty Boys were very much on their game here. They knew they were fearless with their bodies and their offense and their defense. And the Steiner brothers were just fucking awesome. The both of them, uh, this is peak Steiners right here. And that peak lasts a few years. Yeah, they only really had this one match at this time. Uh, yeah. It wasn't, you know, a long program at all. The nasty boys went to the WWF pretty shortly after this. Yeah. But they just start fucking brawling right from the beginning. And you know, that it's potatoes everywhere with these two teams. Yeah, oh, definitely. Just, I'm sure nobody in the ring would have it any other way. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Oh, man, they're beating the fucking crap out of each other. Um, and the fucking Steiners just do a whole bunch of cool moves, which yeah, is what they, they do. throw all these suplexes on these meaty-ass uh, nasty boys. They, like, <laughs> Scott reverses a superplex and then does a belly-to-belly superplex. Yeah. Fucking Tiger Driver. They just, yeah, they fucking hit all of their big, well, not all of their big weapons, but a whole bevy of their big weapons leading to the top rope bulldog. All as yeah. the shine of the match. Heyman goes insane. Like, he's never seen the top rope bulldog before. He's like, all this stuff is great, but I've seen it. I haven't seen that, you know? And I like the structure for a shine where you do everything and then you do your whole comeback into your finish and then don't get the pin, not because the guy kicked out, but because the ref was distracted and the other guy came in and hit you with something. And, and then the whole match. This yeah, case. the chair in this case. And the whole match, the crowd is thinking, man, the Steiners should have won already. Right. Every second this match goes on, the Steiners are getting fucked. Oh, what if they lose now? They should have won. And that's a great way to keep the crowd with you. Yeah. And the heat is long and pretty boring. I must say for a great match. Like it's all bear hugs. So I have my, my roommate, Charlie was here with his girlfriend and she sat down and watched like the middle of the match and was bored to tears and ended up leaving. And then Charlie came in the room and sat down and just saw the finish and thought it was one of the (laughs) most exciting things he's ever seen. Uh, So that's, that's that's wrestling for you. It's true. Um, But yeah, uh, during the, the heat, Nasties do some JYD headbutts as well. Um, they, yeah, and they, they, this is one of those examples of heels working super boring heat because the crowd already saw a glimmer of what they want to see. And yeah. now the whole match is keeping it away from them until, you know, the, the best possible moment to pull the trigger on it. So, yeah, they're fucking doing abdominal stretches and just like, Wet, giving them wedgies with their tights during the abdominal stretch. <laughs> well, the nasty boys never gave a fuck about shit like that. They'd do whatever. Does that, that was what the appeal of them were. They didn't wrestle like wrestlers. They wrestled like two guys you'd meet who were just going to fight, you know, who didn't really necessarily even know how to fight, but they were certainly going to yeah. fight. And they I mean, schoolyard bullets. they knew how to do a spike pile driver. That's for sure. Oh yeah. They did that. Um, but at some point, fucking Scott Steiner does the best Boston Crab reversal I've ever seen. Just flips him right over with his legs. Yeah, with his, with his incredibly muscular everything. Yeah. Um, fucking 
Rick gets the top rope clothesline to both nasties with one of them facing forwards and the other facing backwards, which looks <laughs> yeah. really cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, the nasties get tripped up and Scott comes in and everybody in the arena knows what's fucking coming. And they all get to their feet and start going crazy. Yep. And Scott murders Brian Nobbs with the fucking Frankensteiner. What a great move. Drops him right on his goddamn head. And the best part about it is he keeps his legs around his neck and just kind of twists around at the end of it to go to the pin. Like, he yeah. has complete control over Nob's head the entire time. Yeah, the entire and time. And just, like, screwing his fucking neck off. I mean, Scott was uh, as, as much of a brawler as he could be and as much of a suplex machine as he could be. He was also very technical with the limbs. He knows what he's doing. They were amateur wrestlers. That goddamn yeah. Frankensteiner is yeah. still the coolest wrestling move of all time. He just backflipped so effortlessly. It's different than, like, the Lucha Hurricane Rock. Right. You know, it doesn't really look like the guys are helping each other. Right, and it looks like a fucking pile driver. Exactly. It looks like a pile driver. And Scott is so goddamn big. It, you know, <laughs> it's really impressive that he can do that backflip. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Such good shit. Such good shit, man. The Steiners and the nasties. And then, then after the, yeah, yeah, after the match, the, the nasties attack the Steiners. Yeah. And then, so yeah. <laughs> this is really kind of weird. So the nasties attack the Steiners then they leave the ringside area. They do an interview with Scott, who now looks completely fresh again, has a tag yeah. title belt around his waist. There's a concessions guy behind him who attacks him and turns out to be Sags. And the Nasty Boys kind of look fresh. It looks like they taped this beforehand. Yeah, it does. And because, like... That, I noticed that. Like, that was weird. Like, Sags shouldn't have had enough time to, like, put on a disguise. Right, no, like, where was he going to find a disguise? I can understand him, like, grabbing a tray from one of the concession stand people, but, like, where does he get, like, he has, like, an apron and a beard, and, uh, I mean, they're all sweaty. I don't know. <laughs> weird. Fucking just WCW weird. production is just really baffling sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now is when, in between the two tag title matches, is when the Junkyard Dog, Moondog Rex match happened. Right, and we did find that and watch It's it. on YouTube. JYD comes out with some kind of monster mask on, apparently. Yeah, like a wolf or something. Yeah, supposed to be dressed as the Moondog. <laughs> uh, they have him come out while the ring announcer is announcing Moondog Rex. Yeah, Moondog is already in the ring. But it looks like it makes it look like Gary Michael Capetta made a mistake, and he didn't. He was just announcing Moondog Rex first. Right. The production made the mistake if they wanted to match that. They should have had a quick shot. Even if they were trying to de-emphasize Rex, he had a quick shot of Rex while his name is being said. I think and then cut back to Junkyard Dog. I think they were trying to make us think that it was Moondog Rex because of the mask at first. I mean, Junkyard Dog's black, man, and neither of them wear shirts. But yes, yes, that is true. Yeah. Anyway, JYD is right. there. He doesn't do very much. This is towards no. the end of his career. Um. He, he was in WCW for a few months, um, but I don't think he was going to really put anybody over, and I don't think anybody really wanted to put him over because he wasn't going to put was... anyone over. So they have him fight a guy who he just like fought a lot when he was in WWF. He, he wound down his WWF tenure. You know, not he wasn't in the WWF for all that long, really. Yeah. Uh, but he, he was popular while he was there, <clears throat> but... He kind of let himself go, you know, after after Mid-South folded. He was a guy who was comfortable in his role, a little too comfortable in his role. Yeah. And once he had, like, real competition for top babyface, he couldn't really do it anymore. And it's a shame, but that's I how it goes. I think, though, there was a moment yeah. in, late, in 88, 89, um, even, even more even 87, I think, in, like, the early days of Saturday Night's main event. Yeah. When JYD was insanely over. And I think he knew that even though he was insanely over and potentially could have been as popular as Hogan, they were gonna yeah. they were never gonna let him get as popular as Hogan. 
No, they were never going to let him lose Popular's Hogan. Couple people tell stories, and you can believe them if you want, about uh, them making sure no one started to approach that. And I don't think it was more because the idea was, oh, we're favoring Hogan. I think the idea was they didn't want to split the audience. Hogan was going so well. Yeah. Jake Roberts says that, like, you know, he was a heel, he was a heel, he was a heel, he was about to start, he was about to start his heel program on top with Hogan. And they do a couple of things, and instead of chanting Hogan, the crowd starts chanting DDT. Right. And uh, and Vince flips his shit, and he's like, oh, we can't do this now. We know Hogan still needs to be unequivocally the top guy. So they turn Robert's face, and of course he had a great face run. Right. Um, but that was, you know, that was that. Yeah. Um, uh, they didn't let anybody approach him until Warrior came along. Right. And by then, it was clear that they needed to start exploring their options. It was time. That's true. It was time. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, you know, this match is not a whole lot. JYD doesn't sell anything for most no. of the match. Towards the end, a little bit. Yeah, to the point where Moondog brings a chair in, and JYD's like, you're going to hit me with the chair? And he grabs it and hits himself with it a whole bunch of times. <laughs> it's like, that ain't, shit ain't going to do anything. Eventually, yeah. Moondog hits him with his bone. Yep. And the, which, that that does, allows him to get a little bit of the advantage for a little while. Yeah, he hits JYD in the gut with his bone that he brings to the ring. The whole match is only about three and a half minutes Yeah, long. eventually JYD comes yeah. back and headbutts him, and that's it. And that's it. Um, <laughs> JYD over... Yeah. Nobody in the crowd gave a fuck. Like, this is the least over I've ever seen Junkyard Dog uh, ever. Because usually, like, whatever his performance is like, everyone loves him. Right. But it was it was in Chicago, you know. Yeah. He was really big in in, in the South. Right. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't his town. Yeah. That's my excuse anyway, because I like yeah. Dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Sure. Um. So. He, now we have the world tag team title match. This is another awesome tag team. Another match, awesome by the way. tag team match. Yeah. Um, this one involving Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, who was the mm-hmm. TV champ at the time of the Four Horsemen, against Doom. Wow, with Teddy yeah. Long, Theodore R. Long, Godfather, and this is Doom. You know, no masks, like. I don't know if they were quite baby faces, but they are definitely the faces of the match against Flair yeah. and Arn. Flair was very, uh, <clears throat> this was at the point where WCW management was pointedly ignoring how beloved Flair had gotten, mm. but the horsemen were definitely the heels. Right. Um, right. And, and doom were definitely not baby faces, but the people liked them. Yeah. And Flair could be the heel against anybody, you know? Yeah. That that was just the deal, and Arn Anderson, of course, you know, he always had that, he always had that like assassin kind of vibe around him, where you know, don't trust him because he'll just kill you with the DDT. Flair and Arn do an incredible job of communicating with each other in the ring, in order to present to the crowd miscommunication between them. Yes, <laughs> it's really fucking brilliant. They've been they've been doing the horseman shtick for a while. It's not like they hadn't had tag matches, although Ta- yeah. Arn did usually um, tag with Tully. Shivani points out that Flair was a three time tag team champion in the seventies. Oh, it was Heyman. Uh, oh, Heyman, Heyman points, it. Heyman oh, right, points right, right, out. Yeah, right. he doesn't name his partners or anything, but he does say that, and I found that to be an interesting. Who thing. who were his partners? Do you remember? No, but I'll look it up. Uh, and uh, the only reason we don't do more research beforehand is we don't know this is coming up. Eh, sometimes I do, and I'm like, I'll just look it up while we're talking. Why not? Uh, Flair NWA World Tag Team. All right, list of NWA World Tag Team champs. I'm looking. I'm looking at this a different way. Here's this is how you Wikipedia. I'm going to Ric Flair's <laughs> Wikipedia. All right. Usually there's like a title history section. Well, for wrestlers. Well, yeah. so I found the title. It was Greg Valentine, actually. Okay, Greg Valentine. In 1976 and 1977. And I guess those are... I feel like there's got to be a... Uh, if it was three, it was someone else. Because they only list two with those two. Mm-hmm. Um, I got this here. Uh, US, uh, U.S. champion six times. Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champions three times. 
with Rip Hawk, Greg Valentine, and Big John Studd. Yeah. NWA World Tag Team Championship three times, two times with Greg Valentine, and one time with Black Jack Mulligan. Black Jack Mulligan, okay. I see. The Wikipedia page is NWA World Tag Team Championship Mid-Atlantic version. Ah, I actually found it in the list of WCW World Tag Team titles, which goes yeah. back to when it was the NWA title. If you're ever really interested in, <laughs> dear listeners, studying the title history of wrestling and all its minutia, yeah, good fucking luck. Yeah. There's a lot of it. It's and complicated. It's twisted. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, but, uh, you know, you know. Just look up WCW International World Title and try to understand what that was. <laughs> right, without looking up any other details. <laughs> Anyway, Doom versus the Horsemen here. Doom were very much on top of their game. People were starting to notice how incredibly good Ron Simmons yeah. was. And Butch Reed was already like a top guy in, in territories. And Flair was happy to work with him, it looked like. Yeah. And he did. Especially Ron. Ron works really well with both Flair and Arn at the beginning. Uh, he does some of those JYD headbutts as well. Yep. Um, yeah. Butch Reed was, had slowed down by this point. His, his comeback is a little underwhelming when it comes. But Ron is fucking killing it. Um, yeah, Ron Simmons was an incredible specimen, as they say, of athletes. Though he does fuck up taking the spine buster from Arn. He doesn't, oh, he yeah. doesn't open his legs for it. Ah, you gotta, you gotta do that. But Arn doesn't seem to mind too much. He ha- lets uh, Ron do, like, the full power kick out, popping yeah. him up from it. Which was putting him over pretty big. That Arn Anderson spinebuster was always, you know, sold like a big deal. Well, this match ends in a double countout, but Flair and Arn definitely had it in their minds to put over the guys in Doom. Flair made a, made a career as world champion of losing by countout and putting over the guy he was working with. You know, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, at one point in the match, Teddy Long slaps Ric Flair in the face, which was cool. Yeah. Like that. Um, and Flair just, you know, little shit he does like reaching for mm-hmm. the tag for a second and then doing the flare flop. Like, Oh, I got it. I got it. Nope. Flop <laughs> right on his face. Yeah. He got real close to the tag on that one. Real close. Yeah. Real close. Didn't quite make it, but yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, um, there's a yeah a couple of big moves toward the end of the match a big top rope shoulder tackle from Reed, um, and uh, uh, Arn Anderson does a DDT which according to Paulie is the best DDT he's ever seen, which is a fucking lie because <laughs> better than the one he saw earlier today. Yes, maybe, but <laughs> I believe I'm I'm I will not believe. That Paul E. had not seen a Jake the Snake Roberts match before. <laughs> um, and all of his DDTs are better than any DDT that was on this show. So Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's double count out. So no satisfying conclusion on this match. But there were finishes for those first three tag matches. So <laughs> I guess it's okay. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. You know, that you're like you said, there were finishes. All the matches didn't end like this. And by the end of the night, nobody cared what happened on the rest of the card anyway. Because the final finish was so stupid, which we're not getting to quite yet. Not yet. Uh, A match that's maybe kind of an infamous match comes up next. And it's Stan the Lariat Hansen versus Lex Luger for the U.S. title. This match fucking rules, man. This this whole series between Luger and Hansen is great. Because, uh, yeah. you know, there's there's more matches after this. And Hanson, I think this really did a lot for Luger. I think these are Luger's yes. best matches of his career, possibly. Uh, Luger was fucking hot at the time. And, yeah. and he, you know, he's good in this. He uh, has a lot of fire. Uh, young, against... young Luger was good. You know, uh, mid-range egomaniac Luger wasn't so good. But early Luger, when he was still so full of fire, was great. Against Hanson's fucking total insanity... He gives this yeah. fucking promo with a pumpkin and his <laughs> mouth is full of tobacco and he's just yeah. spitting tobacco juice on the pumpkin. It's just pouring out of his it's, mouth. It's, oh my God. It's really disgusting, but it's so nasty, it, but it's great. It gets the character over big time. Um, holy shit. He comes to the ring totally wild, like destroying the set and throwing things around. Yep. Just like he does in Japan. 
Yeah, and you know, as fucking Polly puts it, or no, as Jr. puts it, I think he's crazy. That's what's wrong with him. <laughs> uh, he was kicked out of West, West Texas State University, according to Jr. <laughs> and he's been banned from America multiple times, <laughs> which is what they used to say whenever he'd go to Japan. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is around the time of the matches with Vader too. You know, yeah, Han- he was one of the top wrestlers in the world, and he was willing to help these young guys. You know, totally. which is cool. I mean. You know, you hardly hear a bad word about Stan Hansen personally. Mm. Um, You hear a couple of bad things about how he conducted business, but most of that is that he knew that his bread and butter was in Japan, so he didn't care about your business. Mm. If you paid him properly, he would take care of your business. And if he didn't, then if you didn't, then he wouldn't. You know, he famously was given the AWA title. Uh, you know, fairly shortly before the AWA folded. And then Vern told him, you know, okay, you're going to drop it to Nick Bockwinkle and we haven't paid you yet. So Hanson just sent back the belt after driving over it with his truck a few times. <laughs> um, he didn't need this bullshit. He was big in Japan, man. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess he had a reputation for being pretty stiff. But what, you know, yes. you can't blame him. The guy couldn't see. That, that's the other story, is that without his glasses, he was completely blind. And you can kind of see it when he's wrestling. <laughs> yes. That he can't see where he is. He never knew where he was throwing his lariat. Right. When, when he hits Luger with it in this match, he just yeah. basically clubs him in the side of the head. Right. It wasn't a straight clothesline. He was he was way far to the, like, to the left. But he does club Luger in the head, and Luger <laughs> sells it like he was bludgeoned in the head with a heavy object. He's out forever. You know, they, yeah. they give Hanson the belt. Hanson takes it and his bell, you know, which he has, which he tried to hit Luger with. Well, that Dan Spivey, Hanson's protege, apparently. Ah, uh, yes, uh, dangerous Danny Spivey. Brought to the ring. Yeah. No, the match is cool, man. Lex really brings the fight. Um, you know, he, he knows he's, you know, if you're fighting a guy like Stan Hanson, you got to fight, right? Like, I think, yeah. I think it's the kind of thing where he'll hit you and if you hit him back just as hard then you know he he might like pull back a little bit but if you don't hit him back he'll keep hitting you harder he'll keep hitting you harder he'll just keep hitting you he'll just keep beating you up uh yeah i heard uh again it's an interview that i can remember distinctly but i can't remember who it was saying trying to face uh haku you know meng and he says what he was told before the match, what Meng told him is like, I'm going to fight you and you got to fight back. If you don't fight back, I'm just going to keep hitting you. Right. And yeah, you know, again, a guy who everybody says is the toughest guy they know. You don't hear a lot of problems with him in the ring as long as you know how to work with it. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, the truth about a guy like Haku is that he lost a lot to everybody and nobody ever thought he was any less tough or a threat. Right. And he didn't mind putting you over as long as you held up your end of the bargain. So the end of the match is kind of weird where Luger signals for the torture rack, but then hits the ropes like he's going to clothesline him. And that's yeah. when he gets whacked with the lariat. Um, he should have just gone for the rack. He should have just gone for the rack. Maybe he could have got the rack, but he didn't get the rack. He got the he got the lariat <laughs> right in the face. Uh, it was pretty cool, man. <laughs> Yeah. So that was another, you know, between this match and the Steiners match, you had two like really satisfying finishes, which almost makes up for what happened in the main event. But before we get to the main event, we get an interview with Theodore Arlong, who reminds us, he reminds us that homie don't play that. And you know that word. Uh, do I? I don't. I, I. I. I don't know. I can think of a couple of words. Yeah. Was he, was that about the N word? I don't know. Maybe. See, the thing is, the, the homie don't play that line is from uh, for for all you youngins there. It's from In Living Color, which was a big yes. show at the time. Homie the clown. The, homie the clown. It was like the thing about the early '90s is it was the real beginning of clown subversion in popular culture. You didn't get two. You got a few. You got like, you know, killer clowns from outer space and shit in the mm. 80s. But most clowns up until like alternative hit culture were traditional clowns. Right. This is before your insane posses of clowns. Just before. But yes. 
And uh, yeah, Homie the Clown comes out and he would, you know, whack people with his sack full of stuff and be rude. And uh, and it was huge. It was it was absolutely huge. If on the playground, the clown sketch. Find it on the playground. We would say, "Homie, don't play that repeatedly and constantly all day, all day." It was In it was a color big was fucking thing. Yeah, and for especially yeah. for a little kid, it was like just late enough at night and just sort of adult enough that you could see it. Like your parents wouldn't <laughs> yeah. stop you from seeing it, but you it probably shouldn't Fox, have been seeing you know? it. Right. Right. And so, yeah, so we thought we were edgier. very, right. We thought we were very edgy yeah. because of home. Well, they they had edgier programming in the first place. And that was, that was kind and of the deal. Check out in living color. It's an incredible show. Yeah. <laughs> Tons of in people who became enormous talents right. were on there. Well, well you know, there was Damon the, the Wayans, Wayans. all the Wayans, Jim Carrey, John Lake was now, John Leguizamo was not on uh, In Living Color. They gave John Leguizamo a, a show like In Living Color a couple of years after yeah, In Living Color. Yeah, he wasn't on In Living Color first? No, no. They gave him his own. I, I don't think so. If I'm wrong, please tell me. I always thought John Leguizamo deserved better than he got from Hollywood, honestly. His show, He's very I remember good. his show, which was cool. Yeah, House of Buggin'. So what the deal was with In Living Color, it's, you know, there was so much comedy, but almost every show that had a bunch of comedy on it had almost no black people on it, or they had no black people on it. So Keenan Ivory Wayans uh, put together a show with an almost all black cast, and it was the first time that had really happened in like a sketch comedy show like that. It was a huge hit. They gave John Leguizamo one, and they tried to fill it with, uh, with Latino people. As my uh, as my um, recollection gotcha. goes, okay, no, you're right. And it you're didn't right. work as well uh, because In Living Color already existed. It was just a knockoff of In Living Color. Got you, Je- um, uh, Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer yeah. Lopez. <laughs> One of the Fly Girls. Jamie Foxx was on there. Yeah. Uh, Chris Rock. It's a great show. Chris Rock, yeah. Um. Oh, what's his name? I got his face in my head, but I can't think of his name. Another David Allen Greer. David Allen Greer. Yeah, David yeah, Allen yeah. Greer was on. Yeah. Okay. Lake was on. Wasn't it? Yeah. No. That some of that stuff yeah. blurs together. Well, that's what I'm saying. You think he was on In Living Color because you saw his knockoff show that was In Living Color, but him and his buddies instead. Gotcha. And like, and it didn't work because it was just a knockoff. I'd like to see that though. I bet it's funny. John Leguizamo's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, um, why the fuck were we Got talking about In Living wrestling. Color? Oh, homie, don't play that. Homie, don't play that. Homie, don't play that. It was that and Bart Simpson. So so this is the only reason why... So I thought Doom were just straightforward baby faces this whole time until Long announces that they're not giving the Horsemen any other title matches. Yeah. Which seemed heelish. It's a heel move. Yeah. Well, a lot of the booking didn't make much sense at this point, and they were about to change bookers several times in a row. So... Missy Hyatt joins the commentary team at this point and bickers with Polly over who first predicted that Sid would win. Yeah. Yeah. Riveting stuff. Riveting stuff. Right. <laughs> they, they wanted to get Missy on TV a little bit more. They, they cut off as soon as she was done talking, you know, and, and like her promo is what it was, you know, very, you know, very sunny, except Sonny came later. Yeah. Yeah. I always like Missy. I wasn't quite sure. I was a little confused as a kid about what she did. Yeah. Because she wasn't really managing anyone specifically at the time. She was just like in the magazines and I don't know. Well, we later found out what Missy did. (laughs) Let's move on to the main event. (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. Speaking of what what Missy did... If you watch the last ECW pay-per-view, which is on Peacock, I'm sure, because they uploaded all of that. Hyatt's on that show. She had already had a bunch of plastic surgery. They, like, they cut to the back, and she's, like, getting out of the shower. Oh, I remember all that shit, yeah. You know, and I can't remember who she interacts with. Some guy comes and starts talking to you, and her reaction is to look at him and go, Who are you? Did I fuck you? Oh, man. (laughs) 
Yeah, ECW was was great in the 90s. ECW is, is great if you go back and watch it with that mindset. But by the end of ECW, it had become a parody of itself. Right, right. And it had some good stuff, and I think it would have cycled back if it stuck around, but it didn't. But I think part of what Let made ECW so good was it was exposing the, like, seedy underbelly of WCW in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. People would come on fresh from WCW and just be like, man, let me tell you how much that sucked. They'd dress up and shit, you know? Yeah. It's like, watch the Pillman sketches. Watch the Austin sketches. Yeah. The war... Watch all the Mick Foley stuff, you know? Yeah, ECW, like, they warred with WWF a little bit, like, as part of the story, like, publicly. Right. But the real war was between ECW and WCW. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, All right, we'll so get into more main of that event. as we go along. Yeah, okay, so, uh, with the podcast. So, yes, main event, the master and ruler of the world, Sid Vicious, challenging Sting for Sting's first World Heavyweight Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sid is very new at this point, but he is great. He just, he he's very nimble. His movement in the ring kind of reminds me of Randy Orton. Except he's, like, that much bigger than Orton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sid was great. I mean, I'm a big Sid fan, of course. But he could move. All his joints worked. He had not yet settled into his super big man style, although he did know how to do all of that. Well, it's great because, like, the way he sold. So he's, like, in an arm bar. And, like, he'll stop to just yell at the camera a bunch. And then kind (laughs) of, like, remember that his arm hurts and sell a little bit. And then go back to yelling at the camera. Good shit. Uh, Sid. Uh, he does Sid. a terrible headlock takeover, though. His, his yes. technique was not quite there for those kinds of things. Oh, no, that's not why you watch Sid. No. In fact, for the, the opposite, that's yes. why you watch Sid. Yes. Um, and the Sting, of course, was Sting. You know, what can you say about Sting? He's full of energy. He's there. He's, he's crowds way into him because, of course, they are. He's the world champion, you know? He does that great dive running all the way down the ramp. And jumping over the ropes into the ring yeah. onto Sid. Right, that's near the end, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, just, they, they work really well together. And uh, I was really enjoying this match because I forgot what the finish was. I mean, so, so I, I, I already know not to expect to be satisfied at the end of a WCW pay-per-view. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Um Sid starts pushing Sting, like, up the ramp, and Heyman starts screaming, like, why is he going further okay. away from the ring? Okay, okay, the, the, the sequence of events really doesn't make any sense. No. First, Flair and Arn show up for no reason, and they're just right. standing there. They're just, well, they're the horsemen. Yeah, right, they're part of the horsemen. They come out, they don't do anything, they just come out. Then, as you said, Sting runs Sid off to the back. Then suddenly, after not very long, after, like, 15, 20 seconds... Yeah. Sid comes back tailed by someone who is apparently Sting. Now, if yeah. you're only half paying attention, and I was taking notes at the time, um, so I wasn't really looking that close. Uh, and I think they did a pretty good job of making it look like it was really Sting. Yeah, yeah. On camera, sure. He doesn't look at the camera. Um, all that happens. He's only on screen for about 10 seconds. Yeah, he gets in the ring. Looks like he's trying to body slam Sid. Sid falls on top. One, two, three. Sid wins and is the world heavyweight champion. Three or four kids in the front row go nuts. A lot of people start cheering. Sid is very popular. As much as the crowd was into Sting, they would have accepted Sid. But then Sting comes out with a rope, like part of a rope around his wrist, like he had been tied up and then had like cut himself loose. But there was not enough time for any of this to happen. No, not at all. I think they did an edit for the home video. But also, I think it would have made sense if Arn and Flair had come out later. So then we could have thought, oh, Arn and Flair jumped him and tied him up in the back. Yeah, that makes sense. Because otherwise, was Sid really going to be able to do that on his own? And if he could do that on his own, then why not just beat him in the ring? Yeah, why not just pin Sting? So then it turns out it wasn't Sting. It was, it was yeah. actually Barry Windham, apparently. Um, the, the refs communicate for a second about it, and the match gets restarted. The ref very quickly figures out what happened. Way yeah. too quickly for a referee, as we have come to learn about <laughs> their cognition. Um, 
And yeah, restarts the match. Flair hits Sid with the belt and puts him in a small package. It hits the Stinger Splash, puts him in a small package, and Sting wins. Right, immediately. And it's like, if you were going to have Sting win, just have him fucking beat the ch- beat the guy. He, yeah, he doesn't it... have to tap him out with the fucking Scorpion Deathlock. He can put him in a small package like he did. They could do the same thing. Maybe even the ref could get distracted and Sting could hit him with the belt. It would be fine. Right, you could have... Crowd would have liked it. You could have Flair and Arn try to cheat first. Yeah. So that he has some justification for using the belt. They could have done all kinds of stuff or, that wasn't this. Or do the fucking screw job because they kind of pulled it off pretty well as a screw job and make Sid the champion if you're going to do that. Yeah, Sting could fight for it back. There is your Starcade main event. Oh, no, but they have to build to the Black Scorpion. R- but no, but how does this build to the Black Scorpion? Well, the Black Scorpion, uh, he's... um. He's coming to get you, Sting. With his black magic. He's gonna he give knows you, a taste you of it. Sting. Remember, Sting? Yeah, it was, that was. Starcade um, is worse this year. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're gonna cover that match. We're gonna do a yeah. Sting episode eventually, and we'll have to do the best and worst of Sting. And that I would oh, certainly God. pick as the bad match. Though, actually, yeah. there's a few things well. you could pick for Sting. That sure. would be the bad match kind of pre-NWO, I'd say. Right, right, right. You know. Yeah, and then, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that happened in TNA. Definitely. And WWE, actually. That match with Seth Rollins isn't pretty. No, I mean, it was okay, but yeah, then he hurts himself. Yeah. Yeah. In any anyway, case, yeah. Anyways, that's, that's Halloween Havoc 1990. Like, it was really a good show piece by piece, but that was WCW's problem. They left fans with a bad taste in their mouth the end of the night. Yep. And that's no good, you know? It's like, there's a reason that when you go see a band, they usually play their biggest hit last or a big fan favorite last. And, you know, if you, if you, ever, if you ever seen a band that doesn't play their big hit, even if the rest of the show was great, you understand what it's like. Fuck, man. If they had given Sid the title here, the rematch could have been a huge match for Starcade. Yeah. Instead of doing Sting versus the Black Scorpion. Right. Uh, they even could, they could have extended the Black Scorpion if they wanted to. Until whatever the hell the next show was. Sid would have been a great champion at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he didn't win the title until years later, until he won the WWF title. Pretty promptly, the WWF picked up Sid after this. Yeah, for a little while. And then he left and he came back. Yes, then he left and he came back. And then he left and then he came back. Yeah. Uh, Sid, Sid was an inconsistent performer, true, true. I think you could say. It's okay, though. I still think he's great. Master and the ruler of the world and all. We'll do a lot more Sid soon. Oh, yeah. We got to get Katie in on some of the Sid stuff. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, she's a big Sid fan. Because Katie had never seen Sid. Then we watched a bunch of Nitro from, like, 99, 2000. She's like, oh, no, this guy. Why is this guy not just the champion? And then he won the title. It's like, oh, good. He just looks so cool. He talks cool. (laughs) And at this point, he moved really well. He wrestled well. Um uh, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, if you want to check out Sting versus Sid, the match is good up until the shitty finish. Definitely it's notable. Definitely go out of your way to see Steiner Brothers versus Nasty Boys. It, oh, yeah. It fucking rules. And I would say check out Luger versus Stan Hansen as well. Yeah, Luger and Hansen is great. It's only about, it's, it's less than 10 minutes long. Yeah, and, you know, the uh, Do- Doom Horseman match is cool, too, but, you know. Look, this is a good show. It's a good show. You know, if you're it's a good show. looking for a show to watch on Peacock, it's only two hours long. It's not three. It's shorter than an episode yeah. of Monday Night Raw. Absolutely. So go ahead and put it on. And more right. happens of consequence, and it is infinitely more satisfying, for me at least, than in any episode on, of Monday Night Raw that's happened in the last 10, 15 years. Just the endless segments of nothing. At some point fairly recently, I went through and I compiled uh, the entire, um, the entire, sometime recently I compiled the entire relevant uh, buildup to Hogan Andre at WrestleMania 3. And it's a series of Piper's Pits. Right. And a contract signing. And all of it put together on a playlist, all of it is about 35 minutes long. And they drew, you know, 90,000 people or whatever to that yeah. stadium. Yeah. Like, that's all they had to do. They told a whole story through a three-minute segments, and it was intense, and it worked, and it drew huge. Yeah, each one 
push the story forward. Right. Develop right. the characters. They gave a, they gave a trophy way. to Andre. They gave a Hogan came out and congratulated him. They gave a bigger trophy to Hulk. Andre is cutting kind of jealous. Heenan convinces Andre that he needs to challenge Hogan. He does. Hogan is a wreck. They do the contract signing. Let's all watch WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, well, yeah, we can spend more time complaining about contemporary WWE. All day long. Um, I, I will say that match for match Halloween Havoc 90 years better than WrestleMania 3. There's a lot of... Uh, it's a lot of uh, throwaway stuff on WrestleMania three. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you if you brought uh, uh, if you condensed WrestleMania three down to two hours, yeah, I uh, it would be hard. You'd have to cut a lot out. I mean, you know? but you've got Savage Steamboat, which yeah. really goes a long way. Yeah, and then Piper uh, Piper Adonis Piper Adonis and the main event, you know, the six man tag with the Hart Foundation mm-hmm. and the Bulldogs. Yep. Jake Roberts and Honky Tonk. Pretty cool. Yeah. But then there's like 10 more matches. Uh, Harley Race and JYD is pretty good. Uh, there's like nine more matches. Yeah. Coco Beware and, and Butch Reed. Anyway, it's a weird comparison to make, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, but it came up, so we compared a little. Yeah. We compared a little. All right, so I guess we're going to wrap things up for this week. Thank you, everybody, very much for listening. Yes. Thank you to our patrons. And, um, yeah, we, we we appreciate the patronage every week, of course. And, yeah. We're going to keep it coming. Say. We're going to keep it coming with this random shit. Oh, yeah, whatever whatever we can so think of. So let us know. Go. Because we still like doing this. If you I want still something like else. shit out there. Yeah. Now, we're going to be going back to our, like, series a little more lately. But uh, yeah. Miss Katie Vela has been busy refing. Yeah, she's been busy. She's actually at a show right now, refing. So that's good for her. And, uh, you know, follow all of us on the various social medias. Hey, look, this has been Contesting Wrestling. Thank you all very much for listening. For Professor Ben Abelson, I'm Doc Diamondfire. Good evening, morning, or afternoon. We love you. Peace. Peace.